Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. As you can see, a little bit different this morning. Uh, today is a very special day. July 19th, 17 uh, years ago, Kelly and I uh, stood in this sanctuary and we said our uh, marriage vows. We got married 17 years ago today. So we are celebrating our anniversary this year in Paris, Arkansas. Uh, we had an opportunity to get away for a few days and just so thankful for that. Uh, thankful to God who has made it possible uh, for us to make it to this point. And obviously she is a huge blessing in my life. I say it regularly that if, if she were not with me, you would not want to be around me. Uh, she, she improves me that much. And so I thank the Lord uh, for the gift that she is in my life. So. We're out of town, we're celebrating, but I'm so thankful for modern technology uh, that allows us to still be able to uh, share the word this morning. Uh, I pray that this blesses you and encourages you our time together today. Uh, quick announcement, I know everybody probably has seen that the governor of the state of Arkansas has issued a statewide mask mandate uh, that will take effect July 20, so Monday. And we'll have some more discussion about that, but the, the, the quick uh, announcement there is that his mandate uh, will not change anything that we've already been doing here at the church. Uh, it won't have an effect on uh, anything that we've already been doing. Everything will continue to stay uh, the same, uh, of course, for now, and then we'll keep an eye on that as, uh, as things go on, because as we know, things are changing every day, and obviously continue to pray uh, for our community, our state, our country, that we'd be relieved of this virus and that the Lord lead us in wisdom and steadfastness and compassion uh, during this time. Amen. Amen. So today I want to share with you, I'm so glad that I still get to, to do this out of the book of Luke uh, chapter 10 and starting in verse 25. Uh, so in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, I'm uh, going to read through verse 37. I want to pray and I want to share with you what the Lord has put on my heart today. So there in Luke 10, starting in 25, it says an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man, wanting to justify his actions, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. 
If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Let's pray over the word this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray today that you open our eyes to the wonders of it, that you teach us and train us. Equip us, Lord, with what we need today. We thank you so much that your word is alive and it's active. And you have prepared for us a, a feast in it of exactly what we need at exactly the right time. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting off here, Jesus is teaching. And during this time, maybe in a break part of it, maybe when there was a pause, a man stood up, which was a sign of respect. When someone is teaching and you would stand up to address them, it was a sign of respect. And scripture says that he was a lawyer. He was uh, a, a, an expert in the law and then it also tells us that he stood up with the outward sign of respect but that his goal was to test Jesus and he said what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus uh, gives back what I think is probably a little bit of a sarcastic comment he says what does the law say so he asked a lawyer what the law said I would imagine that that would gather a few giggles Maybe from the crowd, the lawyer stands up, the expert in the law stands up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? So that, that I like that. But then he says, he, he quotes from first the book of Deuteronomy out of what, what was called the Shema that said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then from the book of Leviticus that you must love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's absolutely right. You're completely right. He said, now go do that and you will have life. But then it says the man wanting to justify himself. So it's like, hold on, hold on, but, but, but wait. Wanting to justify his own actions, well, which means when you say justify, it just means take the stink off of, to, to make it right, uh, to make his actions right. He says, who is my neighbor? And remember, we, we see into his motive at the beginning of the text that it was to test Jesus to test Jesus and, and so what I believe the man was asking is when he said who is my neighbor is when does this not apply when do I not have to do this right and so Jesus answers his question his question of who is my neighbor with a story with a parable about a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, which was a very dangerous road it was a real road it was a dangerous road and the elevation dropped uh, quite a bit, so it was literally going down the road. Uh, but it was, uh, there were a lot of places for robbers and bandits to hide. And so people rarely traveled on this road by themselves because it was dangerous. And Jesus begins to tell this story. And as we go through it, I want you to remember that the man's goal in bringing this up was to try to test Jesus. So what I believe is Jesus took this story and crafted it where we can not only benefit from it, but where would it, it would cut to the heart of the man who asked it and, and speak to his own bias and his own uh, heart issues. So again, this is a Jewish man. So a man of Israel went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, fell in among bandits. Uh, they, they set upon him, beat him, left him for dead, stripped him of his goods, stripped him of his clothes. So he's beaten naked and left for dead. And then it says a priest passes 
by, saw him, and, and moved to the other side of the road. And then a Levite or a temple assistant also saw him and passed uh, to the other side of the road. Now these two, when we tell this story, because everybody, if you've been to church more than once, you've likely heard this story or a reference to it, the Good Samaritan story. And these two, the priest and the Levite, usually just get completely roasted, right? And not that they shouldn't, but we're going to give some context uh, to the fact that they didn't help. Uh, what, what we think in this cultural context, which is how the people he was telling the story to would have heard it, is that the priest was likely traveling home from the temple after serving his two-week period of time. Remember, they would serve a period of time, like we read earlier, when... Zachariah the priest, John the Baptist, that when he had the vision uh, and the angel came and he was struck where he couldn't speak, he had to finish out his, his, his time, his, his shift at the temple. And so he's likely going home and to, to engage with this man who is there and, you know, beaten, naked, potentially dead on the road uh, would have been uh, a significant thing for him. Number one, he's probably riding by because the priest would likely have been on a, a donkey or, you know, a pack animal where he could be riding. But also, if he touches this man, if he engages in this situation, all of a sudden he is ceremonially unclean as a priest and he wouldn't have to not go home but go back to Jerusalem and perform the rites uh, to, to become clean. Again, it would have been a process. It would have been costly. And again, I'm not excusing the fact that he didn't help the man. I just want to give us some context that they would have already known and understand, understood uh, that what it would have involved if this man had helped. But as we know, he chose not to. And then the Levite, the temple assistant, same thing, except he is a helper in the temple. He's not as affluent as the priest. He's obviously walking. That's what the text says, that, that he walked up and, and he would have been uh, held under the same standards of clean, unclean as, as the priest, but with less uh, ability uh, to, to do something. Again, we, we don't ever want to excuse the fact that they didn't help. Just give context to, to what would have uh, been going on in their mind when they're looking at this decision. And, and then, of course, they were probably concerned that this might be a trap. Maybe they're trying to lure me in and they're going to beat and rob me when I go to help this man. That this man is, you know, essentially bait in a trap. So the, the people that would have heard this story would have heard it in that context. And, and then Jesus turns the story on its head because they're listening. They're trying to figure out what, what point is he trying to make? Who are we in this story? And then he says, now a Samaritan comes along. And the Samaritans were half Jew and half pagan during one of the exiles. They had mixed with uh, the, the people of the nations and, and had even taken on some of their idolatry, some of their paganism. So even when they came back to the Lord, uh, th there was some of that still mixed in there. Remember when we talked about the, the Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, at the well and, and she said well your ancestors say we have to worship at the temple and mine say we can worship here on Mount Gerizim and so there was there was disputes there uh, racially and religiously and how things should be done and these groups of people did not get along at all uh, the, the Jews for the most part as it's recorded had no contact 
with the Samaritans. That's what they were taught. And so the Samaritans, because of that, because they had kind of been outcast, they had bitterness against the Jews. So you understand the context here. It says that the Samaritan comes along and even throws in in the New Living to let you know he was a despised Samaritan, despised in the in the uh, ears of the hearers. And for, for all of those reasons that we mentioned in, in the cultural context of the time, for him to say a Samaritan came along, they would have been paying close attention. It says he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, and he went over to him. It says going over to him, he soothed his wounds uh, with oil and with wine, and he bandaged them. And Jesus is painting this picture so clearly. The Samaritan obviously on a journey just because of what it says that he would have brought with him. He had oil and wine that he brought on his journey probably for his own comfort and for his own use. And yet he's using it to, to soothe the wounds of this beaten, uh, terribly injured man. And then he puts him on his own donkey, which tells me he was riding and now he's walking. And then he took him to an inn, an inn where he cared for him through the night, taking care of this man, caring for his wounds, trying to nurse him back to health. And then the next day, he, he obviously is about business. He was, he was on his way to take care of business based on what he had with him and he says i have to go but take this money for this man's stay not only last night but for his care and if it if his care exceeds this then i'll pay you when i come back through if more is required don't charge it to him and so jesus has crafted this story beautifully i mean so beautifully that we still tell it and refer to it today as an answer to this lawyer this expert in the law and, and he crafts it where the Samaritan, and I told you how they would have viewed the Samaritans. Jesus tells them a story where the Samaritan is the hero. And, and remember, with them, it was basically a, a, a blood feud. They, they wouldn't have wanted to be around one another, specifically the Jews around the Samaritans. And, and then Jesus, after he tells the story, he really wants to hammer the point home. If you look at verse 36. He says, now, which of these three, the priest, the temple assistant, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And then the man replies in the beginning of verse 37, he says, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he wouldn't even say, oh, it was the it was the Samaritan. He didn't even want to say Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus finishes out. He says, yes. So he's telling the man again, yes, you're right. Now go and do the same. So the connection of the Samaritan as their neighbor would have been shocking given the time. And, and notice when Jesus crafts the story, he didn't make the Jewish man the hero of the story. He didn't, you know, they probably would have been thinking, okay, the priest is going to come by and then the temple assistant and then just a plain old son of Israel is going to come by and he's going to be the one that helps. The, the least of all is going to be the one that helps the most, but he made the Samaritan the hero of the story. He could have made the Samaritan the one that gotten, uh, gotten the beating, but he made the Samaritan the hero of the of the story, a beginning of a paradigm shift, setting down a new paradigm, a new way of viewing 
the world, that it would, it, it would grow it through the kingdom to no longer be Jew and Gentile, but it would become believer and unbeliever, that we wouldn't be separated by these old uh, cultural things like they were between the Jews and the Samaritans, but the division would be between believer and unbeliever. Not that they would lose their identity, not that they would lose their culture, but that they would receive a higher level of identity that would encompass everything underneath it and inform everything underneath it. When the Samaritan, it says he saw the man, had compassion to him, and he went over. He didn't ask the man, how did you get here? He didn't chastise him. Why were you out here by yourself? Why didn't you take more precautions? You know, his decision to travel through this dangerous territory alone, it says instead he comforted him and bandaged up his wounds. And what a blessing of a picture for us and an example. Uh, Spurgeon is, is quoted as saying, we have many friends who favor us with their rebukes while our wounds are still bleeding. We have many friends who favor us with their rebukes while our wounds are still fresh. And we tend to do that. I find myself doing that with my kids where if they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, and I'm like, you need to stop that. You're going to get hurt. And they keep on and I tell them again, you need to stop that. It's going to hurt you. And then it happens. They hurt themselves. They come to me. They're crying. And, and I lose my compassion for a moment. I go, see, I told you, this is why you don't do that. Instead of moving first to care for the pain and the wound and then uh, coming with instruction. And Spurgeon just said it in a lot more beautiful way that our, our friends are usually so quick with their rebukes while our wounds are still bleeding. But the Samaritan in Jesus's story approached this man without criticism, without complaint, with compassion and, and sacrificial giving. And, and see, the first two should have been a neighbor to the man, the priest and the Levite. They should have been a neighbor to the man, even if just by occupation, they would have been assumed to be, okay, they're going to be a neighbor to this man. Uh, but they weren't. And again, they were probably concerned with being robbed themselves, being defiled, what involvement in the situation might mean. Uh, the time constraints may have been involved, but the Samaritan bypassed all of those things and still loved sacrificially and gave to someone that would have considered him an enemy. The man that was beaten and bloodied in Jesus' story, just based on the cultural narrative at the time, would have considered the Samaritan to be his enemy. And the Samaritan is the one that helped him, gave for him, loved on him, helped to, to, to see him be made well again. And then Jesus says, go and do the same. Remember, this story was the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The man wants to, what must I do to have eternal life? Good life, the good life, Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus said, what does the law say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, who is my neighbor? And when we ask questions about life, what should I do? I don't know what to do. Usually we have an idea, don't we? Usually when we ask for advice, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this situation, this social situation, this personal situation, this emotional situation. Usually 
we know what the answer is. I heard that from someone who had done many, many, many years of, of counseling, personal, marital, all these different things. They had, they had a lot of experience and they said, nine times out of 10, I'll ask someone, what do you think you should do? And they know what the right answer is, but usually the right answer is not an easy answer. And they're hoping for a reprieve from the hard answer, that there will be an easier answer for them. But I believe the man knew in his heart what would be required, but he was hoping for either to be patted on the back for what he had already done or an easier route for what he would have to do in the future. We usually want an easier road, but Jesus's answer is your neighbor is the one that's directly in your path. Even if they're your enemy, that's the person that you should show mercy and grace and love to. The person that's in your path, the beaten man was in the Samaritan's path. And so he was a neighbor to that man, even though they would have considered themselves to be enemies. Now think about that. How do our daydreams normally look when they involve someone who has set themselves at enmity with us? Normally, we, we're not finding ourselves daydreaming about showing them grace and showing them mercy, right? We're usually daydreaming about haymakers or zingers or really being able to tell them off when we have the opportunity, which shows you the fact that we don't sit there in our thoughts about them afterwards, you know, after an interaction with someone, we usually think, I should have said this. I should have told them this. I should have done this. And we hardly ever sit there and go, you know what? I wish I had showed them more grace. You know what? I wish I had shown them more mercy. I wish I had been more loving in that interaction, which shows you that this to love your neighbor as yourself, when your enemies, those that have put themselves at odds with you are included in that list, it's impossible for us to do it well and to do it uh, rightly. And that's why we have to remember it's first things first. Love your neighbor doesn't come first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what comes first, always comes first. And then the ability to love others flows out of that. My relationship with him my vertical relationship with him affects my horizontal relationship with others, right? It follows. The gospel, our relationship with God produces in us what the law demands of us, which would have been impossible for us to do on our own. We are able, not through ourselves, but through our relationship with him. Remember we talked to Jesus and taught them already. In a, in a different section a few chapters back to love your enemies he said remember love your enemies he didn't say love your enemies if they he didn't qualify it he didn't say love your enemies but if they do this you don't have to he didn't say love your enemies as long as they don't say this love your enemies as long as they don't believe this love your enemies unless they act stupid he didn't say that he didn't qualify it at all. And, and of course, we always have to include this, that, that what I'm saying should never be taken as that we, we put ourselves in a situation of constant abuse. He's not saying that we should subject ourselves to constant abuse, that we, we remove yourself from that. Yes. And, 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 and seek out a, a better way. 
But what he is saying is there will come a time in your life where you have the leverage. There will come a time when in your life, when you have the upper hand, there will be a moment, especially when you're dealing with those who have put themselves at odds with you. There will be a moment where you have the leverage and you can either strike or you can serve. And which one are you going to do? And he says, do like the Samaritan did. The Samaritan could have walked by that man and said, oh, you're not. Yeah, you don't like me. Look what happened to you. Ha ha. I'm on my way. He had the chance to strike, but instead he chose to serve. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying. When we have the control, which I understand can be limited in a lot of situations, but there will come a moment when you can either strike or serve. Which one are you going to do? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, even if that person is your enemy. When you can strike your enemy or serve them, Jesus says to serve them, to show grace and mercy to them. Think about this. How would it affect you? How would it affect you if someone who you consider to be an enemy served you sacrificially? How would it affect you if they showed you grace and mercy and loved you sacrificially, someone that you consider to be your enemy, that they chose to, they didn't have to. It wasn't punitive. It wasn't like they were paying penance. They wanted to, they chose to. Someone who had been your enemy, at least in your mind, loved you sacrificially. What would it do in your heart? How would it affect your thought process. The Jews and the Samaritans were always arguing about who was right. We say you have to worship in the temple at Jerusalem, that you can worship nowhere else. And the Samaritans said, we're children of Jacob too, and we worship on this mountain. We worship the same God that you do. And they were always arguing about who was right. And, and what Jesus, I believe, is telling us is that you can't act just any kind of way because you believe you're right. Even if you know you're right, it doesn't authorize you to just act. It doesn't give you license to act just any kind of way. He says, love God and let him teach you to love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? They're the one that's in front of you. They're the one that is in your path on a day-to-day -day basis, even if they have previously or recently set themselves at odds with you. Because Christ's desire for them is the same desire that he has for me and for you, and that's that they would come to repentance and experience salvation. That they would become your brother and your sister. He stands ready. His goal is to forgive sinners and make them part of the family even if they had been your enemy. Amen. I'm almost done. See, Jesus will end with this because this is just a beautiful part of this story. Jesus is the substance of the Samaritan's shadow. When we were beaten, bloodied, ashamed, the man had been stripped naked, when we were all of those things and people would, would, would have passed us by, Jesus, seeing us, had compassion on us, went to us, soothed our wounds, bandaged 
them up, carried us when we couldn't walk, cared for us, paid our way. He loved us sacrificially, even though we were sinners, even though we had been set at odds with him. He loved us sacrificially when he had opportunity to strike lawfully, justly, righteously, strike us down in our sin. He loved us and made a way for us to enter the kingdom of heaven in relationship with him so that we could love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And what he's telling us is to go and do likewise. I'd ask you again, if someone you consider to be your enemy loved you sacrificially, gave graciously, lovingly, chose to serve you when they could have struck you, how would it affect your heart? How would it affect your mind? And then think about what that'll do for others when you show them love and grace and mercy when you could have struck them instead. Amen. What a beautiful story that Jesus crafted. It shows you the word really is alive because we can take this story that is ages old and apply it to our life today. I want to pray uh, with us before you get ready to go. Uh, and then uh, Andrew's going to come so we can sing. Y'all can sing uh, together as you leave out. So if you stand with me, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you as, as we get ready to close. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you that we, we see in this story, first, what Christ did for us, that he crossed to our side of the road when he didn't have to. Lord, you sent him to save sinners, and I thank you for the wounds of ours that he has uh, bound up and healed. And I thank you, Father, that we don't hurt like we used to hurt because he has entered our life lovingly, sacrificially, graciously, and full of mercy. And I thank you, Lord, that you will help us as we grow in you through our union with Christ, our communion with you, to grow in our love for you, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, Lord, and all of our strength. And that you take that strength and you direct it towards our neighbor, those that are in our path. God, even those who have done wrong to us, even those who have done evil towards us, I thank you, Lord, when we have the opportunity to strike, that instead we'll serve just like Christ has served us. I thank you that you'll open our eyes to those situations this week or that we won't overlook the person that's in our path. I thank you that you will organize situations where we can be loving and be gracious and that you will get the glory in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your people, your church, as we disperse today. I thank you that we go in peace and unity together uh, with one another. Lord, those who aren't able to come to the gathering. I thank you that you're right there where they are. I thank you that you're right there where I am. Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, those that are sick in body, strengthen them and give them peace. Lord, those that are worried and, and afraid, I thank you that they'll bring that to you and the peace of knowing Christ will guard their hearts and their minds. And Lord, I ask that you protect us all as we go about our week this week, God, relieve us of this virus, the threat on our community and our nation. Lord, that our nation will repent and turn to you, glorifying you, that we'll love you and that we'll love those that you've put in front of us. And Father, I thank you that you give us wisdom and steadfastness in the meantime. We love you. We thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.
I'll turn it over to Andrew so we can sing. I'll see you soon. Have a good week.